Welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Main. Thank you. Uh, John, yeah, welcome back, yes. John. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's nice to see you here yes. again. We have another John, or Jonathan, yes, that we, we were do. welcoming back to. We will, in just one second. Oh, yeah. So, um, if you joined us last week, we were joined by listener Jonathan, who is one of our sort of Patreon, quote-unquote, supporters. Yes. Who wanted to uh, take us on a tour through the Donald Fagan Nightfly album. Yeah, and, and I'm very thankful that he did, because he brought a perspective, which we'll get to hear more of soon, but... This, this kind of goes to something I referenced about lyrics last week and saying I was going to get to that. I don't I don't listen all that intently to lyrics. I mean, sometimes I do. When they catch me that they're glaringly bad, they can turn me off. But I'm not required to have great lyrics or to even have to understand the lyrics to enjoy a song. You know, a couple of examples. I mean, I can listen to Yes all day long love their lyrics, but don't really understand a lick of what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Or I can listen to, you know, early Beach Boys stuff where they're talking about cars and surfing, which is nothing about my culture, and still enjoy the songs and still get it. But if something's glaringly bad, you know, it'll drive me crazy. But as a result of that, I don't go in and start researching what do these lyrics mean? What is the history behind this artist? I don't read bios about artists because I want to know how they grew up or where they came from or where they studied. I might I like to read the books about the technical side of how the records were made. Mm-hmm. You know, when we did Ted Templeman or Bill Schnee or even the Lukather book, I, I want to hear about how these things were done. But I don't go back into the history of these people. That is what Jonathan did for us. Did yeah. the heavy lifting. And then, of course, you know, he said he had uh, been a history major, so he understood how to take all of this stuff from all these different books that he read, all this, you know, comprehensive stuff and boiled it down to something comprehensible for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, of particular import for this album, because this album, which I never knew, um, was supposed to be autobiographical. Yes. So if you don't know all that stuff, there's a layer of maybe interest that you're not getting. And I wasn't before, so uh, I'm probably even worse than you, especially when it comes to like Fagan or Steely Dan. It's like, I'll just listen to the music. I don't really... And sort of accept it for what it is. Exactly. uh, Lyrically. And until we started doing this podcast, like I had no interest in knowing anything about Steely Dan, really. I I love the music, but now this adds a whole other layer, as you said, and um, in a way that I think I pointed out in the previous episode, in a way that Gaucho, the album, doesn't resonate with me. Now this album will even more because I yeah. think the lyrical content is so important. It makes me think of uh, Purple Rain. Where there's a scene, mm. Billy Sparks and Prince, or Billy Sparks says, you know, your problem with your music, man, is you, you, got, you write lyrics that uh, make sense to no one but yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. All right. Uh, ooh, maybe we should do a whole episode on Purple Rain. Ooh. All right. Put a pin in that, as they say. Does the Bermuda Triangle let out in Minneapolis? It can. Could. Yeah. All right. But let's, let's try to stay focused here if we can for Ugh. 30, 40 more seconds. Yeah. We are bringing back uh, our our guest, Jonathan, yep. who came to us by way of the Anchors Away Sports podcast link at the bottom of the show notes. So if you find yourself wanting to do something similar and appear on the yep. show or you just have a great idea that you want to push to the top of the queue for us to cover, that's how you do it. So. Risk two could be you. Yes. Right? And thank you again to all, you know, we are blown away that anyone would 
um, sponsor us, let alone listen to us. But so we are grateful for listeners like Jonathan and others who have chosen to do so. So, yeah. And as I recall, we left off, you were attempting to instruct me on how to operate my Victrola machine. Is that right? Yeah, because I don't know of such things. I usually just flip over the CD in place side two that way. (laughs) So how's that go? uh, Usually there's not much on side two, I've noticed. But records are different. So why don't you uh, walk us through? What are we doing here? I am going to, um, well, you, you were telling me what to do, so let's hear you. All right. Uh, flip it over, John. Flip over the little diskette you have there. Put in uh, side two. And uh, we still have beer and provisions. We do. Okay. Um, New Frontier. Crowd favorite, anyone? Yeah. So, The New Frontier. I didn't know this, but this was actually the title of John F. Kennedy's 1960 Democratic Convention acceptance uh, speech. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. And it was the convention was in Los Angeles, and so which was the old frontier. And here he is up at the the, lec, you know, the, the podium saying, we've got to face all these challenges of the new frontier. And the lyrics are from a teen boy's perspective, and it's about a kid who basically just sees his family's bomb shelter as like a bachelor pad. (laughs) And uh, there's actually a video of this song, and it was, it must have been one of the early videos that MTV had the rights for, because I remember it being played a lot. Yeah. And there's all kind of like hidden Easter eggs in the video, like Dave Brubeck's album cover mm-hmm. in it. And uh, the only other thing I could say that I think will, will, will really resonate with you, the big blonde is apparently Roger Nichols's wife. Whoa! <laughs> Breaking news on the podcast. Uh, we may be breaking news if you've been following closely along. Oh my gosh, yeah. Interesting. He may have had some type of crush on her, we think. Okay, oh. interesting. Mm, wow. Put, put that one in the uh, the evidence bag, right? Seal that one. Introduce me to that big She's got a touch of Tuesday well. Wearing ambush and a phrase She's got a smile and she can tell. Yeah, this is um we got Michael O'Mardian on both electric piano and piano on this one. So uh, Abe Laboreal on bass. I mean, great. This one has such a great use of space, which I'm learning to be a lot of what Abe Laboreal has been about. Great use of space, a lot of short, articulated notes. And then he's got those nice melodic sort of slides where he slides into these beautiful. It's just wonderfully conceived. I agree. I agree. Except I would only say that it's not the best bass track on the record. The best bass track on the record to me is The Nightfly, which is next up. So let's just hear a little of this groove and hear a little Marcus Miller doing his thing. So you say there's a race of men in the trees. You're for tough legislation. Thanks for calling. Wait on night for calls like these. Nightfly, gentlemen. 
This is the title track. What are we talking about here, Jonathan? So, the DJ is an amalgam of several different DJs, but most notably Mort Fega, and who is known to me because he introduces the Miles Davis uh, band at the uh, Carnegie Hall concert in 1964 or 1960 or something. Uh, And also this guy named Gene Shepard, who I didn't know about at all, but he was this kind of talk show radio host coming out of New York. And he had this kind of like very sophisticated kind of intellectual observational type of comedy but wasn't really like this kind of out loud laughing type of comedy. And he just could kind of sit farther back from the world at that time and say like, you know, maybe not everything is as it seems to be. And this is the guy that really kind of influences Fagan's whole kind of whole outlook on life. And there are great recordings of him on YouTube uh, that you can go look at. Uh, But I think the other thing that's interesting is all the little kind of references to uh, products. There's <laughs> Patton's Kiss and Tell, which is supposed to be a hair cream. Yeah, it's actually not a hair cream. It doesn't actually exist. It's but it's an ode to Charlie Patton, some Delta Blues guitarist, as well as Mount Belzoni, which is a song that he wrote. So all these little kind of things that are maybe not real mixed with the real, which is very Steely Dan mm-hmm. as well, appearing here. Yeah, you know, a lot of times with these records, we're so hooked on personnel that we would say we sit and listen to them and then we open them up and we were reading like the lyrics or we're reading i've got the, the thing up here in front of me you know we're reading the lyrics we're reading who's in it but this is a song where you stare at the cover the front cover mm. and you look at that picture of donald cigarette in his hand the rca microphone chesterfield kings sonny rollins record sitting there i mean it's like that that picture right there while you listen to the song, they just go together, and it's almost like you feel like you're looking at a still movie when you look at this cover and listen to that song to me. And he's depicting that album. Uh, uh, how did you say it? <laughs> Amalgam of the DJs in part, right? And uh, interesting side note. So that shot in his uh, Upper East Side uh, apartment in Manhattan. They had to do it two shots, John, because the first time that RCA microphone was turned the wrong way, <laughs> I couldn't see the logo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that turntable that's on there too. Is um, that is a? I mean, obviously it's a classic, classic. But you notice how small the record looks on the platter. Because that's an actual 16-inch turntable. So um, it would be meant for, I guess, playing old 78s, right? If you flip to the back of the album, this is kind of like was Fagan's life. He would basically kind of stay up at night in his room with the light on, and that's what's shown on the back of the album, and listen to these talk show hosts. And then once that was over, he'd switch to the all-night jazz station and listen to that. Who needs uh, Wikipedia when you got uh, Listener Jonathan here? Yeah, and (laughs) all-night jazz station, WJAZ. We had a WJZZ, which I thought was a great, uh, in Detroit, WJZZ. What a great set of letters that is. I 
I think this is the one that I read where they kind of had a little bit of an argument, Omardian and uh, Fagan, because Fagan wanted him to, he gave him nothing but a click track and said, you know, I want you to set the groove on this. So it would would have been the first track that they laid down. And so here Omardian's got nothing but a click track to respond to, and he's supposed to set the groove, some groove that is probably being articulated to him by Donald Fagan, whether he wants it to tug and pull here, there, or the other thing. And he's just got a click to work against. I mean, come on, give me Jeff Percaro or something. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Or maybe Donald didn't even articulate it. He's just thinking it. It's like, you know, kind of like, you know. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's move on to the penultimate track here, because all I want to say about this one is the Trojan seahorse abounds in this song. You've got lyrical content. You've got some music vibe, just general. You've got some marimba or vibes or something on this thing. Uh, this blah, is just, blah, blah. Is it synth? It is an organ. I, I did a close listen, and I thought that the same thing, and that was my takeaway. I said, you know what? That is not... A marimba. He's doing that with an organ. So go ahead. Well, let's let's give the people a, a little taste, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Yeah, it sure sounds like marimba. But I can tell that it's part of the organ part. He's just got the whatever setting he's got on the draw bars, and he's got the percussion knobs all the way up. So he's getting as much percussion as he can, as little sustain as possible, and then playing it with the doing the rolls like you would do on a marimba. So he's definitely hearkening to a marimba, but it is actually an organ playing that. Interesting. Jonathan, so if this song is not about going out to sea, listening to Yacht Rock, and drinking a pina colada, <laughs> mm-hmm. what is it about? Well... Fagan says it's not about the Cuban Revolution, and I'm inclined to agree. Like, he probably has something else going on. But it it also seems to be kind of an amalgam of, like, political chaos that was indicative of the era. And so it could be about a coup in some Latin American country. There's a book that Graham Greene wrote, apparently, in 1958 called Our Man in Havana with a very similar plot line, like you got to get out of the country. But I just think the thing I love about this one is that line about the colonel who's standing at the door with the stupid face, the glasses and the gun. I mean, it paints such a portrait that I think we don't know where we've seen this archetypal character uh, a coup leader from, but we can all see it. You know, he's got the Ray-Bans on and the hat and the fancy shoes and the military uniform. It's just an incredible, like, very vivid portrait of that. That's what I was referring to, or at least an example of what I was referring to, um, likening it to the, the lyrics in Gaucho, yeah, the song yeah. Gaucho, right? It's like, yeah. you could picture this goofus, just like you could picture this guy. So it's very well done. Well, you want to talk about Trojan Seahorse, it really does sneak up on you. Because you if you start listening, you know, reading the lyrics, the surf was easy on the day I came to stay on this quiet island in the bay. I remember a line of women all in white, the laughter and steel bands at night. Oh, it sounds like, well, like you said, Tom, Yacht Rock. Yachty, yachty. Now the Americans are gone except for two. The embassy's been hard to reach. There's been talking behind, (laughs) better action after dark behind the big casino on the beach. Suddenly, it's like, ah, it is not about that. He didn't want to be disparaged as Marina Rock or Trop Rock, so he's like, I'm going to change course here. Oh, there's a pun. Um 
Yeah, so interesting. I wondered about the marimba because there's a, a percussionist that's credited, Stars Vanderlocket, who I've never heard of before. There's a good name, too. Yeah. <laughs> Do anyone know anything about him? I thought maybe no. he was doing the marimbas. I had to look it up, and I looked it up for that exact reason, to see who the marimba player was. And that's when I went back and gave a more focused listen. And I could tell like the, where the track sat in the panning that it was the same, because eventually it starts playing organ-type parts. I'm like, oh, no, that's the same part that's playing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, should we say goodbye to the goodbye look? Yes. Last track on the record, John. This one's... We're going to walk between the raindrops back to your door. And we're going to do a jazzy swing when we do it. Yeah, and a complete different set of characters on this one we've got um steve jordan on drums will lee on bass they have not appeared yet and this is like uh a hearkening to the david letterman band at some point right yeah but can i just say as a fan of will lee i'm gonna say it poor damn will lee because he finally gets a call to be on a Steely Dan record. Yeah. And then he finds out that Fagan's going to come up with this cocky meaning idea to double the real bass with synth bass and fill in gains. <laughs> it takes all of his gucho gusto And out then of put it. it last on the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a tune that barely fits contextually, at least sonically. Jonathan, what do you think about Walking Yeah, what's Ray going Grimes? on here? Okay, so remember I said Fagan was Jewish. So this is where this comes into play here. So. Uh, First off, the title of the song comes from or is inspired by this Jewish story of a rabbi that visits these witches and during a rainstorm and manages to stay dry. And he says, I did it by walking between the raindrops. That's a, a, a Jewish kind of folk tale. Oh, interesting. Um, but if you were a Jewish boy in the mid-1950s to early 60s, there is no doubt you were, and you lived in the Northeast, there's no doubt you were taking a trip over the Christmas break to Miami Beach. That's just, it was a rite of passage. You had to do it. So it makes perfect sense that he would have done this. Maybe he didn't meet a girl on the shore, but he Mm -hmm. wanted to. And so it's kind of like, well, this is how I hope my trip would have gone. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's about. It's about him meeting somebody and they have this romance along these big hotels on Collins Avenue during the heyday of Miami Beach. And probably at the end of the trip, they have to part ways, but hopefully they'll see one another again. We would not have come up with that, uh, I think, being Catholics. Uh, probably would not have caught the reference, so <laughs> no, glad to have not. you here. Um, very good. So uh, that's the album. Back to your door. In its entirety, I just wanted to ask you both, because I intimated earlier, if we include this in the Steely Dan canon, this would be my second favorite album behind Asia, ahead of Gaucho, which is probably like five. So where do you guys put this? Let's presume it's part of the Steely Dan canon. Where do you put this? Up there? I, I would say yes. I'd put Asia up. That is the way my actually top three goes. I mean, Asia's of, of albums of all time. Asia's number two. This is number three. Number one is kind of blew by Miles Davis, just in case you're wondering. But yeah, that's how it would go for me. Well done. All right, John. Yeah, I put this right up there with them. 
I, I honestly, I know I've talked a lot about how much I love gaucho, and I do because I'm infatuated with the way it was made more than necessarily just the music itself. But I think that depending on the mood, it can be any one of those three, Asia, gaucho, or this one, kind of interchangeably. But yes, one, one A and one B. And I think for me personally, this record benefits from the fact that gaucho came before it. It sort of like created a buffer between Asia for me. And I'm like, oh, gaucho's not like Asia. And then by the time we get to this one, I'm like, well, I knew it wasn't going to be. So I forgive some of the overuse of the drum machines and all that yeah, stuff. In some ways, it's more refined. I think the improvement of Wendell, number one, but also now they've worked with it for a couple of years. You know, they understand better how to use it and where where the the wrinkles are, how to make it feel better. So they've got more experience with the gear too. So I think it just it feels better. It definitely feels less drum machine y to me, this album than Gaucho. It does. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah. I'm trying to figure out exactly why, because it, it the approach was very similar, but I, I agree. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much. Any final tidbits you were storing up that you gotta get off your chest before we let you go? I, I do have one thing that could be a buried treasure that relates to this album apparently it i mentioned that when we were talking before we started recording that it wasn't his first solo work his first solo work was actually a song called true companion uh and if you it was for a soundtrack to a adult like animated movie called heavy metal and he Fagin, it was just like a science fiction, a post-apocalyptic kind of movie, and Fagin being very into that when he was a kid, which also made him really popular, I'm sure, uh, he wrote a, a song for it. And uh, if you hear it, it definitely could fit on this album, no doubt. It's like the ninth song. Were there lyrics on that one? I know he had something out that was also an instrumental on like Bright Lights, Big City, but I think it was an instrumental. But this one has lyrics on it, True Companion. They... They start really late into the oh, song. Oh, maybe that's I, it. But okay. it I never lyrics. got that far. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna escort that number into the lightning round, and I will use it for my buried treasure and credit you. Because uh, so, stay tuned, everyone. Um, in the meantime, Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We re- really appreciate it. I can now go pay our bills. And oh, uh, thank goodness. <laughs> and I can get a new so, camera for my uh, Zoom devices. Yes, you can. All right. Thank you, Jonathan, and we'll hopefully do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Well done, Jonathan. Well done. Well done. Um, That was really interesting. I mean, I learned a lot. He asked us, did you learn a lot? I really did. I did. I did. And I'm not just saying that. It was going back to what I said at the top of the episode. He went into places that I wasn't going to go anyway. And so I'm thankful to have somebody do that heavy lifting for us. Yeah. And I was uh, grateful in the final analysis that somebody... Um, gave me reason to go into this album and actually study it and not just sort of like pick off a Nightfly and pick off the song and whatever. Uh, I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever sat down and just listened to it. Really? It's been more uh, occasional song in a playlist that pops up? You, yeah. Yep. I, which is a note to self. I should probably pick up here and move forward in the catalog. I know not all the later Steely Dan stuff is up to snuff, but... um. Maybe at least I'm going to check out all the Fagin stuff and really give it a good, hard listen. Yeah, it is interesting how uh, Jonathan pointed out Fagin's use of these references, uh, Easter eggs, mm-hmm. you know, as he called them. And I pointed it out earlier, but it's just worth reiterating the way he uses these out-of-context things because he wants to make a nod to so-and-so, you know, a 
you know, pick, pick a name and he might uh, use that name, almost like a, a writer might use relatives or friends' names in the book as ancillary characters just to nod to them. It's not really them, you know, so he does this. And so if you're somebody who's into doing that and going through this with the fine tooth comb, you're going to find so much joy because it's it's all there. Yeah. You know, it's almost like he does it with a wink to say, well, there are people that are going to listen to this musically, but there's going to be people that might want to dig into this and they're going to get a laugh along the way or whatever, a revelation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've actually um, pocketed some of the interesting factoids that Jonathan has shared with us because I am going to use those and expound upon them, hopefully, in the lightning round. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, uh, yeah, hopefully. That's what I said. Well, we're waiting for the lightning. Well, hit it. It seems to be delayed. Nope, there it is. There, there it is. is. Okay. I thought the machine was broken. Yeah, I thought all the lightning went down to... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so... Well, maybe I should start this week. Sure. Um, found at sea. So this is something that Jonathan found at sea. And um, we talked, remember um, the um, episode when we had uh, Bill Stay on, and we talked about the uh, third arrangement or the second arrangement or something like yes. that? And it was Scott Sheriff's project. Right. Well, as you may recall, Scott Sheriff is in a uh, Steely Dan cover band. Right? Yeah, 12 against nature. Yeah, that's funny. exactly. So, um, Jonathan has found at sea on YouTube a cover of New Frontier mm-hmm. that actually features Larry Carlton sitting in. So, this is cool. I'm getting, well, you should check out the video yourself because uh, at 720, we're going to play some of Larry Carlton's uh, outro solo. At 720, it looks like they're trying to wrap up, and Larry makes a motion. No, 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 no I'm not done yet. So, Anyway, here's Larry Carlton sitting in with Scott Sheriff's uh, cover band doing New Frontier. That's amazing that you can see Larry Carlton playing with any semblance of steely danness man and the fact that he waved him off that's kind of because that for some reason i don't know him personally and i I just know a little bit about his personality he seems to be such an unassuming sort of quiet personality kind of guy so the idea that he would wave him off (laughs) it just seems so counter to him i love it Yeah, but he's also such a uh, cerebral um artist when it yeah. comes to building a solo he's so probably he, building to he something. has something in mind yeah, and they're yeah, like yeah. well we're already 32 measures in so no 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> the payoff's at 48 yeah <laughs> so we're se- you know it's 720 Truth. version seven minute 20 second version of the song yeah so that's what he found at sea so uh well done jonathan yeah. listener all right what do you if you found at sea well my found at sea uh connects to a sort of a revelation i had this week as uh i was kind of going through our conversation with Jonathan and the things that he pointed out about Fagan uh, in terms of his background and or his personality. And then I start to think about him musically and what he has done. And I kind of discovered that maybe he has a um, musical, not quite doppelganger, (laughs) but I think of somebody who is so similar in all of those traits, even though the music output is a bit different, not entirely different, but Joe Jackson. Mm, Joe okay. Jackson is, you know, he's a New Yorker. Well, he's not a New Yorker. He's a, you know, 
Londoner or England, but spent most of his recording time in New York. Most of his albums were done there. He's lyrically snarky, mm-hmm. right? Technically very gifted, very jazz influenced. Uh, he's primarily a keys player again, just like Donald. Mm-hmm. Um, very atypical type of lead singer, yet services the songs great. Mm-hmm. Seemingly sees himself as an outsider. And often his lyrics are kind of autobiographical, either telling his story or looking at himself from a third person and looking at how absurd his life may be. You know what I mean? It's very Donald Fagany. Yeah. So I was curious. I know that a lot of people, for whatever reason, and I can't understand it, thought, think that stepping out might be Yachty. I, I don't it. get that either. I, I what see is going it. on there? So I went to look it up and see if it had been rated, and indeed the OGs did look at it, and stepping out was rated 35 and a half. Yeah. That even seems high to me. It does seem high to me, um, but it is from 1982, okay. same year as Nightfly, and mm. the song was from an album called Night and Day, which was Joe Jackson's sort of interpretations of the life cycle of New York City. So Getting closer. We are, it seems like we're getting closer. It's not Yachty at all, but um, we're going to play it anyway. Stepping out. So I'm, I'm looking at the uh, yacht or not here rundown of it. I'm just trying to figure out. There is some uh, electric piano on there, Fender Rhodes. Uh, that's about all I see, though. So, um, yeah, so uh, not Yachty, but remember I, I brought in, uh, what is it, uh, What You Want? Can't Get What You Want. Can't Get What You Want, yeah. They got some uh, slap bass in that one, the horns, some cherry hay horns in yeah, that. So. I think that would be a closer pick, even though, again, it would, that should have gotten maybe 35, and maybe stepping out should have gotten 12 or something. Yeah, I was going to say 11 and a half. So, Good. Yeah, yeah we're, we're on the same page. But I would have never connected those dots between Donald Fagan and Joe There's Jackson. There's a lot there, but, too, and it, that's why I called it a revelation. I see it. Yeah. So, in other words, you found something at sea. I did. Okay, very That well. I hadn't seen before. Ah, very nice. Okay, well, um, did you uncover any buried treasure along the way? I did, because... That song, You Can't Get What You Want Till You Know What You Want, came from 1984. Mm-hmm. So, sort of the next album. It was much more jazz reference, Body and Soul. The cover of it, I believe, is a reference to like a Sonny Rollins cover, mm. if I recall. Um, trying to picture it now. I know it's sort of in, done in the Blue Note style. But um, this is 1984, and one of my favorite real buried cuts off of that, but so infectious. This is Cha Cha Loco. <laughs> So I've done some uh, internet research, which is the best kind. Right. In a nod to its jazz standard influence, the front and rear cover art imitated that of the 1957 saxophone album, Sonny Rollins, Volume 2. And that is a Sonny Rollins record sitting on the desk on the cover of Nightfly. Wow. I, I had not even made that connection until I was talking my way through it in this moment. Consider two more dots connected. Wow. Um, the album's title was lifted from Coleman Hawkins' 1939 saxophone recording of Body and Soul. Jazz. So there you go. Talk about a jazz cat. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, pretty good. Well, I don't know, know if I can follow that act, but I don't have to because listener Jonathan is providing my lightning oh, round good. today. Um, so, 
he referenced this, that this was not Donald Fagan's first solo work. In fact, he appeared on uh, with a solo track, True Companion, on the heavy metal soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's listen to a little of True Companion, then we'll come back and talk about it. Certainly does sound like something that could have been included in uh, either Nightfly or Gaucho. It's got that the vocals, particularly the way he when you finally get there, takes about uh, what five minutes or so to get <laughs> yeah. there. They're, but they're stacked in a similar way to what we hear here on Nightfly from like Ruby Baby or Maxine. Yeah, I was going to say it almost had a third world band vibe oh, yeah, to it for yeah. sure. Yep. Um, well, since we're here and we've got a little time to kill, check out the guitar work at two fifty five. All right, do I get to guess who that is? I honestly don't know. But uh, I, I can well, make a guess. This is listener Jonathan's lightning round, so he's going to have to inform us because I don't know exactly. Okay. But um, do you remember that heavy metal album? Yes. Or I that have it. movie, I mean? Yeah, I have it. No, I don't. I have FM soundtrack, so no. Yeah, so that was. I do it, remember the movie, though. It was animated. It was, I guess it was Canadian. It was very kind of weird in places, but check out how eccentric this uh, soundtrack is. So artists include Sammy Hagar. Uh, Devo, so we're already <laughs> all over the place. Blue Oyster Cult, Cheap Trick, Don Felder, yeah, Donald Fagan, Nazareth, uh, Journey's Open Arms is on here. Oh. Uh, Grand Funk Railroad, another Cheap Trick, Black Sabbath, uh, and Stevie Nicks. Whoa. <laughs> I, most of that doesn't sound heavy metal to me, but um, interesting. Wow. Well, so. certainly Stevie Nicks doesn't. No. No, sounds yachty. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. Uh, last Jeez. fun fact. So apparently um, that uh, True Companion was recorded with Elliot Shiner in the same studio, according to Jonathan, in the same studio that they recorded Nightfly. Mm. Did you know that? No, I did not. Now you do. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if I'll remember it come tomorrow. But okay. I have it recorded now so I can listen back. Yes, this is a podcast. Right. They're saved right to your phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That sounded boomer. Saved to your phone. <laughs> you can download it right off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Off the map, I turned back to uh, listener Jonathan. He brought up Mel, Co- uh, Mel Torme did a cover of The Goodbye Look. Let's just listen to it. The surf was easy on the day I came to stay. On this quiet island in the bay. I remember a line of women dressed in white. The laughter and the steel bands at night All the Americans are gone except for two Whoa, yeah, 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 yeah Well, if you're into that sort of thing Apparently he also covers Maxine And Walk Between the Raindrops There you go Are you into that sort of thing? I haven't decided yet Okay, well, it's off the map Okay What do you have for off the map? Go and stick with the Joe Jackson theme Okay, I like it Um he's one of those guys that seems to bury genius at the bottom of his records. Hmm. And this is the last track off night and day. And it's kind of his take on a power ballad, very Fagan esque lyrically. This is called a slow song. Yeah. 
stop with all the noise and play us a slow song that we can oh, dance to. Nice. It's kind of boomerish <laughs> that way. You might like it. This whole podcast is boomerish. <laughs> Interesting. Well, well, well. I guess that's it then, huh? Yep. So we, uh, again, thank you to listener Jonathan. Thank you to listener listeners, all of you who came back for part two of our special Nightfly episode. Um, I guess we just remind people if they, again, once more, if you want to do what Jonathan done, then open up your iPad, uh, your <laughs> your iPhone, and look at the uh, podcast app. Scroll all the way down and look for the link that says, Anchors away, my boy. Is there a way that you can rig it so if they boy. click on that, they actually get a ding? You know, like. No. No. There's not. Dang it. Acres uh Hoy poloy, anchors ahoy. Before we leave, we're going to bring back Jonathan. Jonathan, what yeah, does He's been it waiting say? in the green room all this time. Yeah, let's bring him back out. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan. He's been with the, you know, the, um, like on the game show where they cover their ears so they can't hear what's going on. They're in the, the cone of silence. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. So, Jonathan. What does it say on your officially sanctioned out of the main merchandise today? The t-shirt that y'all sent me for my 51st birthday? Yeah. That's the one. Ahoy polloi.